friends, my name is Stephanie Romero, and I am the founder and executive director of Awaken Pittsburgh. I want to welcome you to our podcast, The Ripple Effect. Awaken Pittsburgh is a nonprofit dedicated to fostering well-being, empathy, and compassion for all by teaching and encouraging mindfulness and meditation practices. I also want to take a moment to let you know that Awaken Pittsburgh offers many other opportunities for practice and connection. For example, you can join our online community, which features a space to more deeply explore the topics we cover with our guests. We have weekly posts to spark thought, practice, and reflection. I hope you will come join us to explore, connect with others, and deepen your practice. You can find out more at awakenpittsburgh.org. I am so excited to have Shannon Jenkins on our program for this inaugural episode of The Ripple Effect. Shannon is a program deliverer for Awaken Pittsburgh, a deep mindfulness practitioner, and a tutor to neurodivergent teens, and children. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us on this call today, and I'm really excited to talk about awareness with you. Um, I know awareness seems to be one of those foundational things in our mindfulness practices, so I'm excited to have the chance to explore it and how it's worked for you in your life. But to get us started, I would love to just hear about Um, your background with mindfulness and the role of mindfulness in your life. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be doing this. (laughs) Um, My journey with mindfulness started really, I feel like when I moved to Arizona and went to this very intense, like social justice, environmental college and just kind of started changing the way I thought about things and had to do like a wilderness backpacking orientation that was very, very hard for me, but had a deep impact on my life. And being that kind of school, there were a lot of people that were dancing around this topic of mindfulness and even doing like senior projects around things like this. So it just started opening my mind to it. And I found a really beautiful um, Vipassana Sangha that met there every week. It, this The woman was a therapist and she opened her home once a week to just strangers to come in, which in a sense is kind of striking, but you show up there and it was just like the sweetest, most beautiful, tender environment. I just loved it so much and felt very safe there. And even though I really didn't know much about the structure of meditation at all, I remember she did at the end of every session, she would do the love and kindness meditation. And that was so transformative for me. And it remains one of my favorite practices. So I guess I've been doing this for about 15 years. And then I found the Shambhala Center in Pittsburgh was, which was also, I mean, all of the classes and the meditation and the retreats, just every time I feel like I just reach a deeper level of awareness 
within myself and then with everybody around me. So yeah, I guess I've been doing this for about, I guess it's been 15 years and I keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So I guess just to talk on the topic of awareness then, like how would you define it or maybe what does it mean for you? So awareness for me is two things happening at the same time. It's paying closer, careful attention to what's happening around me, but it's also noticing how I'm feeling internally, like how I'm responding to that stimulus. So I think that's technically like, right, don't we, like in polyvagal theory, don't they call that proprioception? So it's like having this relationship and those things being in alignment. Like my brain is right here in this moment, responding to whatever is in front of me carefully. So that's the the most boiled down definition of awareness for me. Awesome. And I guess the question then is, what is that connection between your meditation or mindfulness practice and building that awareness, proprioception, interoception, or maybe just straight up awareness of emotions, right? So a lot of what we do and you as a deliverer for us is trying to support people in that emotional regulation. And so I'm just real curious about awareness and emotions as well. Yeah, so ha the having the emotional awareness and, and having a sitting practice, having a mindfulness practice, I'm not sure I had, I don't think I had a full emotional awareness. I think my, my brain was often in a different place than where my body was as a, you know, a survival mechanism. So I have compassion for it and I understand it now, but I reached a point in my life where, I mean, the whole reason why I sought mindfulness is I reached this point where I realized like, oh, this isn't working anymore. And I'm, I'm missing out on a lot of things in life because I'm not paying careful attention to how things are making me feel. So the, the, the mindfulness practice and sitting practices started to bring my, my brain and body into alignment. So I was really noticing what was coming up for me emotionally when I would think about something. Like I was, I consider myself like in the beginning, I was a really noisy sitter. I, I feel like I still am where I have a lot of noise in, in my head. But that noise also helped bring me, helped bring an awareness to me of like, oh, this thing that I thought wasn't bothering me is actually bothering me a lot. And maybe I should bring some presence to that. Maybe I should consider that. So having an, an emotional awareness I feel like I can actually now navigate big emotions as they arise. I don't feel this need to like push them away. I can say, okay, that's there. And that's showing me something. I'm getting really triggered. What's underneath that? So for me, emotional awareness, I feel like I know I now have a roadmap 
to navigate difficult emotions. Whereas before I would either get explosively angry, <laughs> which was an issue for me. Um, it would come out sideways or I would, I just wouldn't even acknowledge it. Would just keep moving forward. Yeah, that's, I think that's a lot of our experiences is not acknowledging those emotions, trying to ignore them, pretending they're not there, or mm -hmm. like you said, not even really even having any awareness. Um, and I think for me personally, like what you said really resonated about, um, well, these aren't your words, these are mine, but what it was making me think of is bringing that unconscious under the surface bubbling mm -hmm. into the conscious mind so that you can work with it. Yes. Yeah. It just makes it so, it actually makes it workable. Whereas I think before the awareness, it didn't even feel manageable. Whereas now I'm like, oh, this is manageable. I can work with this. I know, I know you, I recognize you, you've been here before and I know how to work with you and that's okay. And I guess like, that's where I bring up that analogy of the map. Like, I, because I have a familiarity with it, I'm like, oh, I know how to navigate this. Mm-hmm. I'm not without a map here. It's okay. I've got a little bit of a drive here, but I'm it's all right. I know this and can can work my way through it. Yeah, that's a that's a great metaphor of having a having a road map <clears throat> so that you're not lost. Yeah, yeah, giving me I have language, I have the signs, and I'm like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Great. And then I guess now like that emotional awareness that we have, a lot of it is around interpersonal relationships, I think. Um, sometimes that emotional awareness for me has been, you know, dealing with childhood stuff, baggage from family. And sometimes mm -hmm. that emotional awareness is like navigating our work lives, right? Helping yeah. us, helping us in our world of work. Um, yeah, so I don't know if there's anything you'd like to speak to around the role of emotional awareness in your work life, and especially since you work with children a lot, mm -hmm. I, um, and there's also the parents. Yep. <laughs> so the kids come with come with parents, um, especially with you working one on one. Yeah, what has been the role of that emotional awareness for you personally, and then also working with the kids around that too. Yeah, it's made having this awareness that has, has totally transformed the way I work with my students and it has impacted how I interact with families as well. So the awareness has, what it's made me notice is I, I stop and I think to myself, wow, if I'm feeling this way right now and I'm an adult with skills, if I'm feeling this way, my student must be feeling this tenfold right now. So how about you pause and take a breath and notice your feeling triggered or heightened and let's set aside my goal with this student right now and let's just prioritize emotional regulation. Um, and it's been a, a total game changer. 
And now I feel like it, it truthfully doesn't happen that often with me, with students. I think I've been able to really create that like, oh, it is my job to help them emotionally regulate. That's, that's my number one job because it's the only way we're going to get any meaningful work done. And so that with my students, that's felt relatively easy for me of like, let's, Hey, let's take a pause. Let's take a break. And I always say when I teach the mindfulness classes of like pause, building in pause, how do we build in pause? Like there's nothing wrong with being silent with my students for a moment. There is nothing wrong when I'm noticing either they're triggered or I'm heightened to just go quiet, take a deep breath and sort of model for them a slowing down, letting the emotion settle and then moving into, okay, maybe we should do this instead. So that's felt more natural for me. <laughs> with families, it can feel harder because I think we go in with this assumption of like, well, they should know better because <laughs> we're adults. And then that awareness is where I have to tap into, well, Shannon, if you still get triggered, of course they do too. And they're also navigating these really difficult systems where their child's needs aren't getting met or they're maybe wary of people coming in and around. And again, building in that pause. So sometimes I will get an email or a text message that feels triggering. And I have to realize that like, oh, this isn't about me. So how do I build in a pause, create awareness around my reaction I'm having, which is rooted in my own, that's actually rooted in Shannon's issues and background, and then waiting to respond, kind of doing my own internal work of what's going on here with you, Shannon, can I widen my lens a little bit? Because that's where I say I go into that really shut down narrow focus. I get um, like pinpoint focus. And when I'm in pinpoint focus mode, that's when I know I'm not thinking like with my whole brain. And so just building that pause in and creating that awareness saying, take a beat, do your own work here. And then, then you can respond more thoughtfully and meaningfully. And it, and it has really changed. I find that I've since I have built in my mindfulness practice into the way everything I do, it's actually really enriched my relationship with, with my families. And I, I feel like I end up becoming very trusted members of their circle and allies for their children. It's so beautiful. And now let's take a pause to update you on some upcoming events from Awaken Pittsburgh. Are you looking to explore the world of meditation or deepen your existing practice? Awaken Pittsburgh offers guided meditations that are open for everyone, regardless of experience. Join us on Monday, February 19th at 7 p.m. at the Squirrel Hill Jewish Community Center or from the comfort of your home online. This is your chance to practice in a supportive community. 
Don't worry if you're new to meditation. We provide instruction, making it perfect for beginners. Remember, there's no charge for attending. But if you feel inspired, donations support our work here, and it's always appreciated. Ready to awaken your inner peace? Visit awakenpittsburgh.org forward slash events to register. We're excited to welcome you into our community. See you there. Now, back to our conversation. I really loved that last piece because when I was teaching K-12, the one big impact, I think, bringing mindfulness practice for myself and for the students was the deepening of relationship. Yeah. Right? So I'm really... Yeah, just that you named that really made me happy because mm-hmm. it was just so wonderful, right? It was just so enriching and meaningful for me and I and I hope for them too. Yeah. Um, gosh, there are so many things that you said that really like resonated with me. And one of them is um, that the emotional regulation of the kids is really the key to learning. Yep. And And I just... Like, I almost want to say that again, because I think so frequently and and you named like the education system, right? So frequently the system is so geared towards just like pushing the content Mm -hmm. right? and like kind of force feeding that content that that the idea that if a child doesn't feel safe, secure, connected, well-regulated, like no content's coming in. Yep. Yeah, I make the comparison of like a Teflon pan. I can keep throwing stuff at it, but it's not going to stick. That's right. And so I'm like, well, then what's what's the point? And so that's something that I've had to be very clear about in my boundaries as um, as a private tutor is I am very clear with my families from the beginning. Hey, I might be a little bit of a different tutor for you. And this might be this might be hard to hear. So we need to make sure we're a good fit. I will never push content if I see the student in a dysregulated state. You will always hear me because a lot of times with Zoom, parents overhear things. And I have had some of them think like, oh, you're putting in too many breaks. And I'm like, I see a child in dysregulation, which if, if you take into consideration the I mean, first of all, kids have restraint collapse, all like most kids have after school restraint collapse. And then I'm another thing being added to the list of things. So, oh my goodness, of course, they're going to be mildly dysregulated anyway, because it's after school. And then when you think about the populations I work with, I'm working with kids with autism spectrum disorders with autism. And then I'm working with kids with nonverbal learning disabilities, executive functioning disorders, and dyslexia. So they're often barely keeping up with school as it is. So just the school day alone dysregulates them because they feel like they can't keep up. They're not good enough. Something's wrong with them. And so when they come and sit down with me, I have to set this tone of, you are safe here. Whatever you need, just let Miss Shannon know. And I come up with different ways for them to let me know so they don't have to use their words. If that feels overwhelming, they can type in the chat. I teach them basic sign language so they can ask for breaks. Um, But yeah, I I have learned that pushing content over making the child regulated, we're just spinning our wheels. And the thing is, is now that I've made this shift, 
again, I'll go back to that, like the in, in enrichment of the relationship. I can't like it, it. Like I will cry sometimes when I talk about it because I'm like, oh my gosh, the way I connect with this student now that I'm really seeing them and tracking their regulation and making them feel safe. You know, like these little things, like I have a student who's autistic who wants, she wants me to smile and show me her teeth all the time. And it just makes her giggle. Like she, and her mom's like, she loves it. She talks about that, like this simple little thing where for some reason we have this little call and response of like, show me your teeth. And I show her my teeth and she giggles and giggles and giggles. And that's our way of like connecting at the top of every session. And that was me tracking her and figuring out that's what she needed to start session with Miss Shannon, just feeling like giggly and boisterous and like, all right, I'm ready to work with you versus this really dreaded thing she has to do after school. And that I think what you have just described is an example of you bringing your full awareness mm -hmm. to each situation with each child. Yes. And their uniqueness and their needs and their affect and all of the cues that that if you are not really fully in your complete awareness, you're going to miss. Yep. Yep. If I if my goal is just like I'm going to barrel through um, the lesson plan, number one, number two, number three, are we getting six things done? I was like, let it go. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just not it's That's it's right. actually not there's no teeth in it. It's not making any traction. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I may not move as fast, but what I do has so much more traction Yeah, in, in having awareness of who they are and also of my own emotional state when I'm with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's very powerful because when we work with kids, not only are we teaching that content, but we are modeling a way of being. Yep. Yes. And so they are learning on so many levels from yes. us as the adults and the example, right? And so what you're describing of your own checking in with yourself and self-awareness about how you feel in the presence of that child or, or with whatever's going on and like maybe taking that pause that you need, you're actually modeling for them how to be in presence, how to yes. be in awareness absolutely, and how to, and how to regulate. Yep. Yes, that's awesome. Beautiful. Well, I, I have one other thing that you said that I just want to name in case people listening didn't pick up on it. But you talked about a difference for you of having a very narrow focus, mm -hmm. and then a very wide angle kind of focus. And that's one of the things about awareness that's amazing is, you know, when we are triggered, when we do have a severe stress response or trauma response, like, literally, we become uh, kind of focused in on a single point. Mm -hmm. And that's literally happening in our vision and it's literally happening in our brain and our ability yeah. to think. And so what, what you described about noticing that, and again, that's a, a meta level of awareness and then being able to self-regulate to the point where you can expand it out, like that what you described is exactly, um, I guess I want to say a goal, right, for a lot of folks on on being self-regulated and being able to work with awareness because that narrow focus and noticing when we have it, that's a symptom of our stress or trauma response. Yeah. Right? 
And then being able to say, oh, I find myself so narrowly focused at the moment. I think I'm in a stress response, right? Which is an amazing level of awareness. Mm -hmm. And I know if I can kind of regulate some more that I can open that up and see more broadly and notice more possibilities and actually see the full room like that. I just wanted to kind of highlight that and raise that to the top because um, the way you described it is like, that's exactly the process of noticing when we're having that response and choosing to pause so that we can reel it back in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The tunnel vision was strong for me before mindfulness practice. And I've I've talked about this with important people in my life before. I was fortunate to have at least two people that I can think of. They were very critical moments in my life. Two people in my life, not even people that I was particularly close to, pointed out to me 20, 25 some years ago that I was really negative and bitter. (laughs) And I was so offended at the time. I was so angry and so offended. And I got tunnel vision around it, right? Like all I could do was be critical of them. Like, how dare they say that? And then having time and doing, you know, moving into these states of mindfulness and being like, oh, I was. I was bitter and angry. Did I have reasons for becoming that way? Sure. Sure. I've, I had some tough, really tough things happen to me when I was young that shaped the way my brain saw the world. And I had this very narrow focus and sort of thinking about, um, I think Brene Brown some, says something like, if you're looking for proof that you don't belong, you're going to find it. Like what you look for is what you will find. So if you have that narrow focus, you're gonna, if you wanna see all the signs of how you don't belong or how everybody's crap, whatever, you will be able to find it. But once you start opening up and having some like peripheral vision, you start to see like, oh my gosh, all this other stuff has been there this whole time. But my focus was so narrow, I wouldn't even allow myself to see it. There's this person over here. So, you know, that's where it, and I I think probably the first official, now that I'm thinking about this, the first official mindfulness practice I ever started before I started doing quote unquote meditation and mindfulness and finding that community in Prescott, Arizona, I started journaling when I was living in California and that, and I, it's so fun to go back and look at those and doing gratitude journaling. And so gratitude journaling was one of those things that helped me widen the scope of my vision and noticing, oh, I really do focus. It's hard for, in the beginning, I was like, this is hard for me to even do this. Yeah. That's awesome. Such a rich conversation. Um, I guess just to end, I want to ask all of my guests if they have a favorite resource, a mindfulness resource that you would love to share. So talking about that, expanding the vision. (laughs) One of my favorite practices is the five senses practice where you literally expand your vision, like you, you actually look around the room, you look for things, you listen for things. Um, 
you smell what's in your environment to like deeply root your body into the space that you're in. Because I can only speak for myself. I still struggle with my mind being in a different place. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all the things I have to do, or sometimes, luckily, this isn't as big of a problem for me anymore, but I used to be a big time ruminator. Mm -hmm. It was a serious problem for me. And I started to notice like, wow, I'm not even being inside my body right now. So the five senses practice helps me root into the physical environment, rooting my body into the physical environment that I am in right now. So that's what, that's my, one of my favorite practices. And I use it all the time. I refer to it when I teach mindfulness, I call it my pocket practice because it's always right there. It's so easy to do. You need absolutely no props or tools and nobody even needs to know that you're doing it. Like I'll do it in my doctor's office. Mm -hmm. There's maybe I'm feeling anxiety Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in the waiting room and nobody even knows I'm doing this practice. So generally when you do it, you just, cause I know there's a way to do it. That's called the five, four, three, two, one, which is kind of the way that I've often heard it done. Do you, yeah. do you do it like that? And for people that aren't aware of that, it's five things you see, four things you hear, three things you smell, two, you no, three things you help me out here. Three things. It's, um, five things you see. Yeah. Four sensations you feel in the okay. in the body, or like things you're feeling around you. Okay. Three things you hear. Two things you smell. One you taste. One you taste. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. friends, friends at home, friends listening, you can try that, and it literally you can do it in thirty seconds. Yep. You can do it in thirty mm-hmm. seconds. Um, yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, is there anything I didn't ask about, about awareness or anything else that you would like to end on? No, I think we hit all the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we had had some real good stuff in there. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Awesome. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. I always, always love talking to you and appreciate you volunteering your time and energy and wisdom to share with me and anyone who's listening. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate you so much. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. Hey. Say Something Studios.